0: Isn't it great to know that we have a God that supports us through all things, you know. And more important I mean, not more importantly, but we are able to, you know, just feel that and express that because of Shelby and Gabe's obedience and the little baby that's inside there being up here. So just give them a round of applause for the good work they do. We're so glad that you guys are all here with us today in person and at home. And I love to say this, I love to say this, all over the country we've got people watching. So thank you for your obedience and showing up. We miss you and love you guys wherever you're at. If you just give everybody some spirit fingers and say hello, and you are more than welcome to have a seat. Obviously, I'm not Pastor Jeff. Sorry. No. Uh, Pastor Jeff, we had some time to get away with family, and he's returning right now. A time to refresh and just see his family. You know, it's not easy. To see family when they're out of state and stuff like that. So he was able to get away with Debbie and go spend some time with their family. So that's where he is, and we are glad that he was able to go. But I want to share a couple things. I might blow some of your minds right now, all right? So just stay tuned, get the connection. I'm blessed that I get to come to church and my whole family's here. Honestly, um, you know, to make a connection, this is where the mind blowing part takes place. My mom and Stepdad, we're serving you at the door. My sister Erica was the one who was giving the announcements. My dad's here for the first time when I preached. I'm nervous. Okay? <laughs> um, but I'm going to tell you this: you know, I'm going to be really transparent with you, really transparent with you. All right? My dad being here is a prayer that's two years old and shared by over 20 men throughout this country in the Northeast who knew that this was a desire of my heart and that God would give me the desire of my heart. And today that's taken place. So thank you. Thank God, because God knows what we need. Um, But I want to go back to last week, you know, because last week was Resurrection Day, and it was a day that we just don't need to celebrate one day, but we have the opportunity to celebrate the victory of the resurrection every single day. You know, last week we were blessed by the Res kids. You know, I look at my nieces in here, and they were part of the video. And then I we were blessed by the Quest kids, who the teenager stood in front of a camera. And they're like, "Ugh," because no teenager likes to stand in front of a camera, because it's really it's all about with my hair look good, do I look good, okay? But they did their part, and then Shelby and Gabe did their part, and Pastor Jeff did his part. And with that, we were able to. And this is this is you know. This is where we see the benefit of it. We had more people in the sanctuary last week than we've had ever since we've been back since July. Okay. There were over, yeah, absolutely. There were over 120 people in the sanctuary last week. That's phenomenal. You know, is it where we were? Absolutely not. Is it where God wants us? Absolutely. And that's the most important part. We had another, you know, 25 to 30 people who were watching live online. So those people out there, thank you for tuning in. And then we've had another 50-some people watch since last Sunday on the YouTube channel. So everybody who served, if it was the greeters, the parking lot, the ushers, the music team, Pastor Jeff, the kids, everybody had a part in impacting over 200 people's lives. But I'm not just going to say 200 because hopefully if you heard the message or saw it, you went and shared it with somebody else because God multiplies. So the word got out there. So thank you so much. Let's not forget what was done last week and all the people who made it possible because that's super important. But before I go any further, I'd like to pray um, because I need God to be with me as I do this. So dear Lord, I just thank you, Lord. It says where two or more are gathered, you are here, Lord. So we thank you for your presence, the Holy Spirit that be with us today, Lord. Lord, I ask that you guide and provide my words, Lord, and that I can be your vessel. And I thank you for all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. I look out here and I see new faces and old faces and Quest youth graduate faces and married faces. And I'm blessed to be here. And I hope you are too. Um, but today I'm going to share a message with you that might be a little bit challenging. But everybody knows that a challenge is good, right? Because it makes us a little bit stronger. So the title of today's message is Not My Will. Oh, oops, who's walking out the door? (laughs) Not my will. As I start today, I want you to think about, just in your head, just ponder, what are some of the most dangerous or risky things you've done in your life? You know, I look out here and I see people of all different professions and stuff. And and people have had all sorts of opportunities. Well, you know, many of you know that I served in the Marines for seven years. So I, I had the opportunity to do some dangerous and risky things, you know. Thank goodness God protected me. I was never in combat or anything like that. You know, praise be to the Lord. But I say that to say this. I was always ready for combat. And to be ready, you've got to train. So some of the dangerous things that I got to do, but they were fun, where I got to do some of these cool things out of a helicopter. And John's going to show you a picture here. I got to do these things called rappelling, fast roping, and spiring. Now in all three of these things, they're all three different things to do to be able to get into places or get out of places. And believe it or not, all three of them have different levels of danger and risk. Right? The safest one there, honestly, is the rappel. The rappel, you're hooked into a harness, it's in there, the rope's all locked up, you're all good to go. You've got control over where the rope goes, you can stop and start when you want to. Then it goes to the spy rig. The spy rig is a type of extraction, when you're in the middle of a field somewhere, you've got a harness on, they clip you on, the helicopter takes off, and you go where it takes you. And it's, it, you know, we're not just going over the trees. We're up there. You're behind the copter. It's actually pretty fun. It's probably the closest thing I've ever done to flying, right? But then the, you know, the one that doesn't look that bad is fast roping. Look, that, that helicopter looks like it's load, load to the boat. It's a rope. I'm just going to, th- that's the most dangerous one there is because you're not clipped in at all. The only thing that's got you there is your hands and your feet. And you slide down the rope like it's a fireman's pole. However, what you've got to do is there's two rotors on that helicopter, and there's downforce, and everything's pushing you down. But you usually have a 50-pound 50 50 pack on at the same time. And as the helicopter's going like this, the boat's going like this. And how many people know if the, if the, bo- the helicopter's at its highest point and the boat's at its lowest point, that doesn't necessarily mean that the rope is going to be on the ground. So there's a lot of risk involved here. And I share that with you because these are some of the risks that, and dangers that I've experienced. But this week, I experienced a whole new danger. I, you know, as Erica said, we work at the deaf school, both of us. I'm the phys ed teacher there. And we got to be on spring break. So my family and I, we went on a little couple-day vacation. We went to a water park down in Pennsylvania. And I went on a ride called the Screaming Hyena. Does anything sound fun about that? All right, so this is the Screaming Hyena. It's a tube, and you stand inside the tube, and where your feet are, once you get locked in there, it's going to go three, two, one, and then the floor drops out. At the same time, you're five stories up, up in the clouds or at the roof of this place. It goes three, two, one, and it's a drop. It was scary, but it was fun. Did I go do it again? Absolutely not. My boys went over and over and over. And I'm like, what's well, good enough? All right? But I share these things for you because you know what? Life can be scary at times. And it can be dangerous. all right. And, but if you can't relate to these two things because most of you guys may not have done them, I'm going to give you something that a lot more of us will be able to relate to. Okay? When I had my first child, it was scary. And you know what? It was dangerous for that child. <laughs> I remember coming home after being in the hospital, and we were the good parents. We had my daughter from the car to the house, which was a, a sidewalk probably as long as us, in the carriage, strolling along. And we step inside the house, and my wife and I, Becky, who's over there teaching, we look at each other and we go, "What do we do now?" <laughs> right? We didn't know what to do. It was scary. All right, and a lot of us can relate to that. But in the scary situations that I've explained to you, most of the time we have a few advantages. I had a lot of advantage in all this, all right? When I did all my things on the helicopter I got to do, I prior to got to learn how to tie the knots. I got to see somebody else do it and see that it worked, right? I got to experience it in smaller levels. With the screaming hyena, I did a little, you know, I'm a coach. So I did a little bit of scouting. I went to YouTube. You know, you can find anything on YouTube, all right? I had point-of-view cameras of this guy stabbing in this thing and dropping out. I'm like, I don't know if I really want to do this. So I had everything to my advantage to be able to d- go on the journey and do what I felt like I was supposed to do and have a little bit of fun at the same time, right? Once you get over the initial shock, it was good. But where I want to bring us back to is a different scary experience. I want to jump back into to Scripture. That something was really scary, okay? I want us to jump back to the garden right before Jesus was betrayed by Judas, all right? And see how that compares to where we are today. So let's look at Luke 22, 42. And this is Jesus in the garden, and he's praying. And it goes something like this. There you go. There, that was good, John. It said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. So we're going to take an opportunity now. We're going to look at this in context. We're going to look at this in a lot bigger portion. Because there's a lot that goes into this. So we're going to go to Matthew 26, 36 through 40. But we're going to use this as a a foundational scripture today. And I'm going to read this all through and then we're going to talk about it. It says, then Jesus with his followers went to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, sit here while I go there and pray. He told Peter and the two sons of Zebedee to come with him. Then he began to be very sad and troubled. Jesus said to Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, My heart is heavy with grief, and I feel as if I'm dying. Wait here and stay awake with me. Then Jesus went a little further away from them. He fell on the ground and prayed, Father, if it is possible, don't make me drink from this cup, but do what you want, not what I want. Then he went back to his followers and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, can you men not stay awake with me for one hour? Next, please. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> stay awake and pray for strength against temptation. Your spirit wants to do what is right, but your body is weak. Then Jesus went away a second time and prayed, My father, if, if I must do this, and it is not possible for me to escape it, then I pray that, you do, that I do what you want done. Then he went back to his followers again and found them sleeping. They could not stay awake, so he left them and went away one more time and prayed. This third time he said the same thing. Then Jesus went back to his followers and said, are you still sleeping? The time has come for the Son of Man to be handed over to control of the sinful men. So there's a lot there, and I'm not going to negate that or say that, all right? but what we can see in here and it was highlighted it's highlighted in the blue is not once not twice but three times did Jesus try to get out of this but three times as he tried or said you know if this can pass he said more importantly I want your will to be done not mine that's huge how dangerous and scary is something that you might not necessarily know what's ahead? Jesus knew what was ahead, but yet he was still willing to do the will of his Father. He didn't bow out for his own benefit. He walked his Father's path for the benefit of all. And you and I are included in that all. You know, when we look at verse 39, you can we can get a better understanding if we look at it in the, in the Passion Translation, which is going to come up on the screen here. And it goes into, says, and we're going to look at the blue portion. Yet what I want is not important. How many of us think that everything we want is the most important thing in life? Right? We, we live a life of instant gratification. You know, if I want popcorn, it's going to take me two minutes and put it in my my microwave. My microwave is going to sense it out, and it's going to be done. It's even going to stop popping for me. I can get it when I want it. We want things because we think everything is important. But what Jesus says here is what I want is not important. That's totally opposite thinking than most of us think. But more importantly, he said, "For my only desire is to fulfill your plan for me. What a dangerous statement. What a risky, scary statement. Right? But he knew his father's plan and what could be done out of it. The good thing is, is we can look at this and we can make a connection here. So my only desire is to fill your plan for me. Right? But when we look at a very familiar scripture in Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven, we know that it says this right here. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. This is something we all stand on. And some of us say it every single day. This is the best path we can take. The path that's already charted for us. The path that we can already walk down. But in order to do that, we must seek God with our whole heart. We can't come after him half, whole, half-heartedly. It's not going to work out. And wh- who likes the benefits of his plans here? His plans to prosper you, all right? Prosper is not really a word that we use all that often, you know? But when you really look at what it means, do well. How many people want to do well? Right? Flourish. Alright? You know, I, I look at Mark Nash back there, and soon his garden's Senior, not junior. Soon his gardens will be flourishing, right? With all the flowers and stuff that he plants. You know, thrive. Who wants to thrive? Who wants the benefit? You know, I come back and I I look at these synonyms, and one of them is bear fruit. Who wants to see the fruits of their labor? In order to see the fruits of our labor, we've got to walk down the path that God put before us. You know, I I say it this way. I'm pretty spoiled in the fact that, you know, I've been able to work in Quest as long as I have, and I've been able to see the fruit right before me. Shelby was a Quest member. She led a band over there. She leads a band here. I look back at at Tira and Allie, and and they came all the way through Quest, and now I see, you know, or or I'm able to hear once in a while the fruits of, of their living. You know, I look at other teens who've come through Quest who are out doing ministry and stuff like that. God spoiled me and my wife. But these fruit, this fruit that I see is what's kept me on the path that I've been on for so long. Because I know that when I grow weary, that there's another teen who can go do something for God that we can impact. So it's really, really important. It also goes on to say, you know, we have this desire to prosper and, and get all these benefits that we talk Do wonders. Part of prosper is do wonders. You know, Jesus said, you will do the things I've done in greater. Think about all the things Jesus did. All the wonders he did. We have the ability to do that. It's absolutely amazing. But then we go even further here, and it says not to harm you. Does anybody here like to be harmed? Right? Nobody's signing up for it. If I said, walk down this aisle, I'm going to give you some harm. I'm going to guarantee nobody's going to jump up. All right? But when we look at this in other translations... You know, the message translation says to take care of you. The easy reader version says not to hurt you. The NLT says not to give you disaster. And the JR, that's the Jeremy Roberts, says to keep you safe. Right? We got to make it work for us. But in this, it never says it's going to be easy. There's a difference between harm and easy. Okay? And that's what we need to understand. Okay? We want the easy track. What's the easiest way to get there? What's the fastest way? You know, I was just did some travel, some driving and stuff, and I put in my GPS, and it takes me the fastest way to get there, or the easiest way. Okay, we got we to think about those things. What it shows me is in these things, when we're following God, and we can get this prospering, and we can have this, this hope of, of not being harmed, there's little risk involved. You know, but... There are many trials ahead. There's got to be a balance, you know. There's there If you're walking God's path, the risk is minimal because he's there beside you. But it doesn't mean there's not going to be troubles ahead. So in our earthly thinking, the risk of reward value is huge. All right? But my question is, is why don't we jump in? But right now you might be asking yourself, jump into what? Well, we're going to go back to our foundational scripture for today, which is Luke twenty-two forty-two. Yet not my will, but your will be done. You know, I can tell you that the heart of the RLC leadership is this scripture. There is nothing more than what Miss Lynn wants, what Pastor Gabe wants, what Pastor Jeff wants, what the elders want, than to fulfill what God wants them to do. And if God doesn't give them direction, they're not going to go down the path. That's the heart of this church. Not to just go and do what they want, but to do what God has for them to do. Um, and that's a great blessing. And we're great benefactors because of it. You know? But this this same idea of not my will, but your will, should be our will as well. It should be what we want. It should be a factor in every decision we make. But I will bet that many of you would be surprised with the amount of people that I've met with over the years who have come to me about college decisions, relationship decisions, family decisions. When I say to them, did you pray about this? And they say no. But they're getting ready to make one of the biggest decisions of their life. And they've got no guidance from God. That's scary and that's dangerous. And there's no doubt about it. Too often we make decisions based on the benefits of us. We evaluate the risk and reward. We measure the pros and the cons. But I can tell you that there is no better place to be than doing God's will. None. Nothing. I can also say from experience there's no scarier, more dangerous place to be than being out of God's will. And I think many of you would agree with that as well. You know, I look at my life, and I, I'm lucky that I'm even standing here with some of the stuff that I did, that God allowed me to get through, if I knew Him or I didn't know Him at the time. Okay. So the big question today is we know the benefits of being in God's will and walking out His plan in our lives, but why do we struggle with it so much? in my opinion we struggle with walking out God's plan for our lives because many times we don't know the path we don't know the complete picture of what's ahead or what the ultimate goal will be so I'm going to use an analogy to try to get us to grasp this okay you know I sat around for a long time and I'm like how can we get this and try to understand it why don't we walk down a path that we don't really know what it is and why doesn't God give us everything so How many people have a cell phone here, right? And the most important thing on your cell phone is that it's charged. Right, because if it's not charged, you can't use it. So each night when I go to bed, you know, I get my cell phone, I plug it in, and and somebody's gonna say that you're not really supposed to do that. I'm me, that's what I do. I plug it in, and the next morning it's recharged. But I've also been at times in my life where my phone has gotten ready to die, and I want to plug it in, and I want it to be like 100% like this. Has anybody else felt that same way before? here at home, you just want that instant charge of your cell phone, back to 100%, right? So then I sat around a little bit more, because this is what I do and the way my brain works, I'm like, why can't we have this thing? Why doesn't? Why can't we, you know, I'm a Shark Tank guy, why can't I make this and put it on Shark Tank and make none? Because God does that's not the plan for me, plain and simple. But what it comes down to is, is really, if we plugged our phone into the charger and it went to 100% like this, the heat and energy that would enter that phone are going to make it explode. There's no way it could take it, and then it's not going to be beneficial to us. All right? Roll that analogy back to this, okay? In the fact that, you know, we think about God's will for us and what he has for us to do. When he was going after the disciples, he walked up to them, and he didn't say, hey, I'm Jesus. I'm going to heal the lame. I'm going to make the deaf hear. I'm going to stop somebody from getting stoned. I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. I'm going to go up on a cross. I'm going to die there for you. And three days later, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rise. Come follow me. Because you know what they all would have done? They would have got the heck out of there. Because they thought he was nuts. What he did say, is he said, follow me. And then little by little, he started to reveal the whole plan to them. We're much the similar way. Why don't we do God's will? Why don't we get the clear picture? Because you know why. If God showed us everything, we would explode. We would really explode. You know, and I say that, and I'm going to use myself as an example because there's not because I want to be the example, but I don't want to put anybody else out there. You know, 20 years ago, and this summer, Becky and I will be serving in Quest for 20 years where we've been part of it. And, you know, it's been a blessing. But 20 years ago, I went over to serve in Quest because I didn't have the ability to learn the way I needed to in here. I was such a baby Christian that I couldn't understand the jargon and all that stuff. And it was nothing against Pastor Jeff. I was just a baby. So I said, I'm going to go to a different level and learn the way I need to. So I honestly went over there and started serving under Miss Judy and Pastor Gabe. And they, they helped me along. And you know what happened? I fell in love with God during that time. And over the last 20 years, it's been a ride. For sure. But I can tell you this. If 20 years ago, God would have said, you're going to be standing up here talking to these people, I would have ran too. Right? Right? There's no way I would have signed up for it. Not at all. I'm still very uncomfortable being up here. Okay, very. But to go even further, if 20 years ago, when I started serving, God would have said, you're going to lose students. You're going to have students who are going to die. You're going to stand beside students that have lost their parents. I don't know if I would have taken the path. I don't know if I even want to start walking down the road. Because I don't want to go through that. But each day, I just took another step and another step and another step. And he strengthened me and prepared me, along with Pastor Jeff and, and Judy and Pastor Gabe and everybody else who's poured into my life, to be able to walk through these things, these hard things, and do God's will, not my own. But he doesn't give us the whole picture because he doesn't want us to explode. But now I look back at this picture, and believe it or not, even though all the bad things I've gone through, it's a beautiful masterpiece. It really, really is. To think about all the teams that we've been able to to impact and have influence and sow seed over all these years, it's nothing but amazing. And I'm blessed to, to have gone down the road... But I'm not saying there's anything that's been easy about it. You know, if God would have shown me what just the last year was going to be like in ministry. This guy's only the Quest youth group leader. But for some reason, God saw gifts, talents, and abilities in me to give me opportunity to do things that I never dreamed, thought, or imagined. There's no way I would have thought that we would be doing online services, online giving, streaming live, reopening protocols, mass protocols, social separation, all these things. I would have ran. But little by little, he revealed the things that we need to do to be able to get his house open and run the right way and safe for all. And to him be the glory. But I'll tell you what, if he would have said this all, great, out the door. But that's how much he loves us, is he's not going to explode us. He's going to give us what we need when we need it to be able to do what he's called for us to do. You know, over this last year, there's been lots of uncertainty. You know, there's been a real, honestly, I'm not going to lie to you, I'm going to be really jer- there's been a real feeling of loss. You know, and I'm not talking about, you know, seats not being filled. I'm talking about, disconnection of people and relationships here in God's house and outside of here. It's heartbreaking. But we go through it because God gets us through it, and that's what we need to remember. Um, When we're seeking God's will, it's the most important thing he can do. You know, as we look at Jesus during these challenging times in the garden, we can be reminded that this is not the first time Jesus said these words. Your will be done. You know, we can go back to Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10. And it says, this is then how you should pray. Your Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This shows us Jesus was not just a do-as-I-say person. He did what he said. And he set a great example for us. This is the the... The prayer that he taught the disciples and then he walked it out right there in front of them. If it's God's desire for us to have his will done here on earth, Jesus walked it out in the garden by being handed over to the guards as the perfect sacrifice for all mankind, how much more should each of us be trying to fulfill God's will for our own lives? Often in quests, my students ask me, how do you know it's God's will? And I answer them, I don't have a 100% correct answer. I don't. But what I can tell you is you need to be led by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit needs to live inside you. You need to have that inner knowing. You know, we've been fortunate here at RLC that over the past several weeks, Pastor Jeff has been teaching about a series called Life's Best Guide and how we are to use the Holy Spirit. You know, two of these teachings were that the Holy Spirit will help us to know. And help us to go. What better guidance could we get? We're already we prepared to do what I'm saying by the foundation that God that God and Pastor Jeff has set below us. Um, if we're praying and seeking the Holy Spirit, we will be guided by God for His will and be able to walk out His plan. In no way am I saying the plan is going to be clear and concise. At times, we're going to have to live second by second. But the journey will be worth it if we rely on God and His direction. But what I've found is many of us don't walk out God's plan due to the lack of information and the direction to start the journey. We have information at the tips of our fingers. We can go to Google and get any answer we want in .0000 whatever seconds, right? And we don't just get one answer, we get several. So if we don't like the first answer, we go to the second answer anyways. So really what we've done is we got what we wanted anyways. But we try to do the same thing to God. Give me the answer and give it to me now. Well, really, what we're doing is we're playing God. It says His time is perfect. That's what we need to remember. We want all these things answered. But what we need to remember is if we have all the answers, how much faith are we, are we exercising? There's not a whole lot of faith there. Unless it's God's direction, which the answer is. So we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 5-7 in the New King James. And we're going to look at it two different ways. It says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. And I like the voice here. It says, The path we walk is charted by faith, not by what we see with our eyes. You may be asking, How can we trust God and have faith in His plan moving ahead when everything isn't clear? I struggle with it too. But rather than looking ahead, we can build our faith, the faith on which we're supposed to walk, by looking at our past. When we look at the things God has done for us, and all the places he's shown up and given us favor in our lives, it makes things a whole lot easier to trust him. When I've been in my ugliest pit, God's been there and dug me out. That gives me faith that, I'm one, he still loves me. Two, that I'm not too far gone. He picks me up, cleans me up, and, and, and brings me along. Our past gives us the hope to move forward. You know, I look at all the things that God, as I said, God's allowed me to do in quest, which gets me to the next day. We need to have those memorials. You know, when they cross the river... They set up, the 12 tribes set up rocks as a memorial to remember that they were able to cross. We need to have those memories as well. You know, we look at, over in Quest, you know, we do praise and worship, and there there is a, um, a song that we sing, it's called God of the Breakthrough. And I just told you, you know, that God is always with us and he directs us and we can always look backwards. But one of the lyrics in this song that I struggle with, but we still play it because I think it's important and I can highlight it, it says, you haven't failed us yet. I'm like, God is never going to fail us. So what's this about? God is not, cannot, will not ever fail you. And we need to remember that. If we believe this, this, and this about the Bible, then we got to believe this, this, and that too. Right? Right? He's not going to fail us. There's no way he can fail us. And we can be reminded that he's not going to fail us by all the things that he's given us, all the testimony he's given us and what he's walked us through. As I continued to meditate on this scripture, to walk by faith, not by sight, I was brought back to the disciple of Thomas. Thomas, who was one of the 12 disciples, spent three years with Jesus, saw him perform miracles, heard his teaching, and was even privy to, to the the most sensitive information there was. Attended the Last Supper with Jesus. Knew that Jesus was going to die and raise three days later. But yet still, he had trouble believing. He had all the information in the world and still doubted it. Right? So the good news is, we're we're not alone in our doubt. We're not alone in our fear. We're not alone in looking for answers. Because we have an example of somebody who followed Jesus, walked right alongside him, who did the exact same thing. But God redeemed him. And that's, that gives me hope. Right, we're going to look at John 20, verses 19 through 29. I'm going to read them all. This is going to sort of set the setting. It says, That Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind the locked doors, and because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, suddenly Jesus was staying there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. They were filled with joy. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Jesus like, bloop, I'm here. Absolutely amazing, right? The last time many of them saw them is when they took him down from the cross. A beaten, disfigured man. A man that wasn't even recognizable. And now he's standing there before them, Right? What joy would you have? Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And if you don't forgive them, they will not be forgiven. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it. Unless I see it, the nail hand, the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers in them, and place my hand on the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them and said, "Peace be with you." He said, then he said to Thomas, "Put your finger here, and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side." Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord, my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, "You believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who believe without seeing." There's a whole lot there, all right. But we're going to learn some lessons from Thomas. We're going to learn four lessons from Thomas, all right. Now, we have no knowledge. I've looked in many, many places to find out where Thomas was. Everybody wants to know what, where Thomas was and what he was doing. There is no real found knowledge from the scholars that says exactly what Thomas was doing and why he wasn't with the other 10 disciples. Remember, it wasn't, you know, he would have made 11. Judas had already left the 12, All right, So I'm not correct in saying that Thomas was in the wrong place. But I know from personal experience when I'm in the wrong place, I can surely miss God. Right? Everybody agree, if we're in the wrong place, we can surely miss God. So again, we want to go back to the place where His will is being done. We're walking out His plan so that we can be where we need to be, so we're not going to miss God as Thomas did. The second thing we can learn from Thomas is I'm sure he had his doubts and his uncertainty. For, that's for sure. Because we can see it says, I won't believe unless he put a demand. I see the nail wounds in my hands and put my fingers in them. Think about this situation for yourself. What would it take for you to believe? Now I'm going to do a Pastor Jeff moment here because I learned from the people who are before me. I'm going to ask you guys at home, I'm going to ask you guys here, just close your, close your eyes for a second. All right, a couple seconds. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you an idea here, all right? What would it take for you to believe that you won $20 million? I could walk up to you and say, You won $20 million. Would you believe me? Open your eyes. You'd be like, You're crazy. When are you going to believe it? You're going to believe it when it's in your hands, when you see the check. I think of this family in Tabor who won the lottery, and I'm not endorsing the lottery, they won $96 million. 96 million, right? Scratchy, 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 or look at my numbers, whatever I may do. Is this right? I don't believe it. I'm not going to believe it until I go check that ticket in, right? I check that ticket in, and then maybe I'm going to believe it. But I'm still not going to believe it until i got the check in my hand. Then I'm going to start to believe a little bit. This is sort of similar to Thomas. Right? He had the information that Jesus was there. They shared it with him. But he wanted the hard, cold truth. You know, I I, I give you that that scenario in, in the fact of $20 million, and that might not be relatable. But then, you know, as I was praying and thinking about this, I'm like, how can I make this real? And I think about it this way. You know, my grandfather died, you know, many years ago. But if somebody would have said to me, you know, shortly after my grandfather died, your grandfather's alive, I might have a hard time believing it. You know, for me to believe that my grandfather was alive, I'd want to see his physical body. I'd want to hear his French-Canadian accent. I'd want to be able to give him a hug, and that's what's going to make me believe. It's not just going to be somebody's words. Thomas wanted the truth. And you know what? It says in the Bible, the truth is what sets us free. Him getting the truth set him free of his disbelief. You know what? And we're very similar to that. The third thing we can learn from Thomas is if we look at verse 29 there, and that's the one down on the bottom. We're going to look at the blue. We can see what God really wants. He has a desire for us to believe without seeing and exercising faith. He even says that there's a benefit in this. You know, it says, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Who wants to be blessed? Is there anybody here? who Thank you. I got a hand back there. Two of them, matter of fact. All right. If, if I say this, who doesn't want to be blessed? Is anybody going to jump in? We all want to be blessed. Right? But understand what the benefits of blessing are. Special favor, mercy, benefit, favor bestowed by God, happiness. I'm signing up, and you know what? I might be the first in line. This is what we want in life. When we are walking by faith to fulfill God's will, I can tell you that His favor becomes evident. You know, I'm walking down a journey right now, and there's some people, you know, faithful friends who know this journey, and it's uncharted territory for me. But I can tell you that I believe I'm doing God's will, and the favor has been abundantly evident. And that's what's keeping me on this path. That's what we have to look for. We don't got to look at all the things that can go wrong. Looking for all the things where God's shown up and given you. Not what I wanted, but what he wanted. Favor is evidence of our faith. <clears throat> Favor keeps us on the the path and the plan that God had for us. You know, the fourth thing we can learn from, from Thomas is, is you got to have good, solid Christian friends. Friends who won't let you miss out. You know, Thomas wasn't with the other nine. When Jesus appeared, they went and got him. Now, I'm not saying Thomas was in the wrong place. But when we're in the wrong place, we need to have some friends who will come get us out. Right? But often when there's places, we don't want nothing to do with friends. We often feel like we're in a place of isolation. You know, there was once a, a lesson that I did over in Quest. It was about a sheep and some wolves. Right, Tom? and I drew this fabulous picture because I'm an artist but you know what when you're by yourself it's a whole lot easier for the wolves to come and attack and you know what when you're by yourself and you're in isolation it's a whole lot easier for the enemy to get a hold of your brain and make you think the wrong things and make you think you're no good anymore you need to have those friends who are going to come alongside you and help you get to the right place and give you the things you need not the things you want. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. And you know, we can believe that. And it also says in Ecclesiastes 4.12 in the Living Bible, it says that one standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And three is better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You know, I look at this from my military background, and I can tell you, That it's never fun to be alone. If you're in any sort of stressful situation where your life is on the line, you're out in the middle of nowhere, there's nothing worse than being alone. Now, are we really alone? No, we're not. God is with us, but we sure feel alone. You know, I look at Tim over here. If he's the first one on a call, you sure feel alone, right? It's a dangerous situation. And if we're alone and we don't realize God's with us, our mind can be defeated. We can build doubt into our mind quicker than anything. All right? But then it goes on to say some great things here. But two can stand back to back and conquer. You know, looking at this from a military situation, if I got two, I got one person who cover in the front and one person cover in the back. I feel a whole lot safer. I know somebody's alongside me. Somebody's got my side. All right? And I got eyes, a little bit more eyes. But when there's three, we can cover the front, we can cover the back, and now we can cover the flanks. We're a whole lot better. And then we can encourage each other. And we can work as a team. Because three is better than one. So what we need to remember, you know, this example of Thomas, is he may have been alone, but his friends cared about him enough to go get him. And strengthen him. And not allow him to miss out. Now, when we look at the scripture in regards to Thomas, we can get a different perspective. I want to go back to when Jesus first appeared to the disciples. Where was Thomas? As I said, we don't know. But we know he was not with his group of pals, the pals that he'd hung out with for three years, the pals that he'd done miracles and seen miracles with. He was just in a different place. When we become isolated by standing alone, we can easily become defeated and allow negative thoughts to fill our head. I can just picture Thomas by himself thinking, man, I fouled this guy for three years and he's dead. What am I going to do now? If he wasn't the Messiah, if he was the Messiah, why is he not alive? He He could have possibly had a defeated spirit. This could have easily led into part of his disbelief and his demands for proof. But when I picture the other nine disciples, the picture is much different. Think about them gathered in the room. Did you hear what Mary said? She saw Jesus. The tomb was empty. I was there myself. No, 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 you're crazy. Mary's just, she's lost her mind. She doesn't know what she's talking about. No, we saw him on the road. He's alive. How much more encouraging, how much more building up is that situation? Why? they're filled with everybody who believes. The doubt can be stricken away. It is very important for us to be surrounded by Christians who make us better and hold us accountable. It's crucial to our living. I want to give you a look at one person in the Bible who said, not my will, but your will be done. And walked out by faith and not by sight. I want to look at Abraham. God told Abraham to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering. God told Abraham his will, what he needed, where he needed to go, and what had to be done. Abraham had the whole picture. We would have ran. Myself, I'm out the door. Right? I could have easily said, That's not of God. He wouldn't ask me to do that. We can do that justification thing. But Abraham does not just do that. He goes as God directs. Now think about this. After God gives him this direction, for three days, him and Isaac traveled to the place where this is going to take place. For three days, he had to think about that God told him to kill his son. This wasn't just an instant thing. There was plenty of time for this father to debate, to justify, to rationalize, or to experience the anguish of what he was going to have to do. That he was going to have to kill his own son. When they got closer to the site, Isaac said to him, Dad, I see the fire and the wood, but I see no lamb. And this is where we're going to pick it up in Genesis 22.8. It's going to say, Abraham answered, God himself is providing the lamb for the sacrifice, my son. So both Abraham and his son went together to this place. When they came to the place where God told them to go, Abraham built the altar. He carefully laid the wood on the altar. Then he tied his son Isaac up and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. That's crazy. You know, I look at many of you out here and you've all had children. I don't think any of us could ever picture or imagine doing that to her own child. Right? Then Abraham reached with his knife to kill his son, but the angel of the Lord stopped him. And the angel called from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham answered yes. And the angel said, do not kill your son or hurt him in any way. After looking at this text, we see Abraham's obedience was only because he loved God so much. Because he loved God so much, he had the will and desire to do what God had done, told him to do. And he walked by faith, always believing that God was going to make it all good. And we have proof of that. Because what's it say up there? Abraham answered himself, God himself is providing the lamb. I truly believe that after these three days of walking, Abraham had that inner knowing that he was going to do everything God told him to do, but he wasn't going to have to do the ultimate thing of killing his son. He believed that God was going to provide the lamb. And we see that as we read in the text, that after the angel tells him to stop and he stops, that all of a sudden, in the thicket, the ram appears. Anybody think that you're going to hear a ram rustling around in the thicket? It's not going to want to be there. But all of a sudden, it's there. Why? Because God provides. <clears throat> so as we close today, you know, we've shared a lot of things with you. But what I want you to, to understand the most is we have to have an inner, inner feeling Of not our will. It's got to be God's will. Or else we're playing God. You know, I, I think that, you know, many of us walk down this road of I'm doing God's will. I'm doing God's will. I'm doing God's will. But when we really take the blinders off and we look at the whole picture, there's a whole lot more revealed where we can realize that we're out of God's will. Out of God's will. Out of God's will. So hopefully what you've learned today or some of the takeaways that we have are are right here. Maybe. First big takeaway. Living out God's will can, I'm going to even go other than can, I'm going to say will be scary and dangerous. There's no doubt about it. Two, there is no better place to be than doing God's will. None. You can't find a place. Happiest place on earth? No. Disney's not going to cut it. Doing God's will is going to cut it every single time. Three, we're to walk by faith and not by sight. We don't have to have the full picture. We don't. We got to look at the past and see where God's been faithful so that we can walk ahead in the journey that he has for us. And four, God will provide. If we're walking in God's will, He will provide just as He provided for Abraham. He loves you that much. That's what we don't understand, and that's what we struggle with each day. So, as we leave today, I know what I've shared hasn't been mind blowing or anything like that. It's probably stuff that we've all been familiar with. But what I'd like us to do is I'd really like us to do a self evaluation of ourselves. And see the areas where we are walking, and the areas where we aren't. And figure out by asking God what we need to do to get there. You know, these areas that we need to walk out in God's will, probably aren't the easiest areas of our lives. But I can tell you that if they're a struggle for you now, and you're doing it alone, you're probably not going to get much further. That's where we come back to good Christian friends. good good Christian counsel, people who can build you up. If I had to do this whole journey by myself, there's no way I would have made it this far. None. But when you get surrounded, or surround yourself by, or God provides people that continue to build you up, lift you up, you know, sometimes pull you along the way, kicking and screaming, you can surely get to where God has for you to be. And I can tell you from experience, the things that God has for each one of us are bigger than anything any of us could have imagined. Because as I said, I never would have asked, signed up for, or wanted to come up here. He just loves me that much and provided me the ability to be able to do that. So I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes and bow their heads. You know, if you're here today or listening at home, you know, we have the opportunity to put our trust in God And make Him Lord of our life. Having Him know His will and be guiding with Him. But the only way we can do that is by having a personal relationship with Him. And having the Holy Spirit as a guidance system inside of us. That will help us walk out God's will and do what He has for us to do. So I ask that we pray this together. I just ask that you repeat after me. Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. Thank you for sending your son Jesus To die on the cross for my sins. I recognize my need for forgiveness. And I surrender my life to you. I accept Jesus into my heart as Lord and Savior. Please show me your way. And help me to become the person you want me to be. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. I love you. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you for everybody who's here or those at home. If you said this prayer for the very first time, you know, I ask that you go on our website, uh, ResLifeNY, and go to the prayer request form and just let us know that you prayed this prayer today for the first time. Or if you're in a spot where, you know, you realize that you're not as committed or connected to God as you need to be, and you're going to recommit your life to Christ, ask that you go to that same place. Not that we can keep tabs on you or anything like that, but that we can be praying for you. Because we don't want anybody to go through this journey alone. Because that's when we can become defeated. So, I just thank you so much for being here. I hope that the seed is sown, will not, you know, return void, and that you can use it to impact and uh, influence your lives. If we all stand? We'll just pray before we dismiss. Dear Lord, I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for using me as your vessel, Lord, and I thank you for the word that's gone forth, Lord. We know that your word does not return void, Lord, so I ask that in each person who heard it today, Lord, they pick the parts of it that, uh, not that they pick, but you direct the parts that they need to to do a self-evaluation of their lives and uh, get right back on the path with you, Lord. I ask that we look to do your will in each and everything we do, Lord, and Lord, that we walk by faith and not by sight, Lord, that we don't look for what's best for us, Lord, but we look what's best for all, because you came to save all. So Lord, we give you all the praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you and have a blessed day.